0: Hello and welcome to uh, another episode of the Strength Syndicate podcast with myself Shane Storey and my co-host Lawrence King. How are you Lawrence? How right, How are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to having a bit of a chinwag on today's topic. It's Perfect. going to be pretty relevant for us now as we come into the competition, Make sure we catch all disease so i suppose so yeah if you didn't kind of catch on from that we're going to be talking about sleep (laughs) um so sleep obviously is quite it's quite an important thing that maybe people don't put as much emphasis on as they should um it's such a low-hanging fruit like geez if you're uh, gonna be thinking of kind of getting into something like vitamin s i suppose vitamin s is probably going to be Sleep more so than steroids is probably the, the most kind of potent um, thing you can do every day that is going to allow you to improve your performance, improve your body composition, improve your health. Um, so it's definitely something to pay a bit more attention on. And we are going to talk today about like what is sleep in general, like you know, why do we need sleep, uh, its effects on performance, and then just getting some practical recommendations as to things that you can do that will improve your sleep. So, uh, Lawrence, you are uh, pretty into sleep. Yeah. Where do we start? Um. What is it? Uh, I suppose
1: we'll break it down into maybe like, maybe like sleep, the structure of your sleep, what happens when you sleep, and then I suppose maybe why we sleep. Um, as regard like for people, we spend about a third of our whole lives of sleep so roughly if you're you take a 24-hour day we're awake for 16 hours and you sleep for roughly eight stratify that across your lifetime and you're asleep for about a third of your life as you're younger obviously as a baby you sleep the most but your sleep recommendations as you age don't really change or decrease so as a baby, you might sleep from anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day. When you become a teenager and you're going through lots and lots of changes, you still probably need anywhere from nine to 11 hours to sleep. And as an adult, a fully formed adult, at least, um, you're talking maybe a minimum of eight hours of sleep. Um, and for different reasons, as we get older, that uh, feeling of sleep or feeling of need for sleep changes um but we all need sleep and the absence or lack of sleep or lack of enough sleep uh as as you said fairly disastrous consequences um so the first thing i suppose to talk about would be like as i was saying earlier like sleepfulness and wakefulness i suppose for sleepfulness there's a constant Homeostatic pressure for sleep going on from the moment you wake. So we've we'll call that sleep pressure. So from when you wake, you you're starting at a baseline level, and that accumulates across the day. This sleep pressure accumulates across the day, peaks just before bed at night, and it dissipates throughout the night. Um, And that wakefulness um is regulated by the circadian rhythm and that builds across the day again counteracts the sleep pressure and promotes your wakefulness and alertness that you feel during the day so wakefulness and alertness uh kind of peaks typically around mid-morning early afternoon sleep pressure starts to rise so think of it like a graph your sleep pressure is that is lowest in the morning your Cricadian rhythm um, brings you towards this really wakeful point in your day that peaks, starts to decline, and then your sleep pressure starts to rise thereafter. Um, And then I suppose in that sleep consolidation um, towards the end of the night, or sorry, uh, as that wake-promoting system begins to decline at bedtime that allows for sleep consolidation uh, as the need for sleep dissipates across the night so obviously as the sleep pressure decreases throughout the night um your wakefulness starts to slowly rise um again in the morning think of it like a slow rising arch as opposed to something which which is just on or off these are just um what am I I trying to say? They're kind of acting in tandem almost as um, in two different kind of worlds. Um, So then with an appropriate night's sleep, the drive for sleep is reduced. So that sleep pressure is reduced. The circadian waking drive begins to increase and the cycle starts over. So Your total sleep time remains the same, but it's randomly distributed over the day and night. Um, So it's the, how your circadian rhythm would synchronize with sleep pressure is fairly dependent on how much sleep you've gotten the night before. Um, And they're not just happening in random, they're happening kind of in tandem. That kind of makes sense. So that sleep pressure, and circadian rhythm are interacting throughout the day depending on how much not depending but for it to work properly it's depending on you getting the right amount of sleep
0: yeah because uh, sleep essentially is acting as something to clear the body of this like sleep pressure that builds up over the day like, uh, you may have heard of the sleep pressure being called adenosine and something like caffeine essentially works as an antagonist to this uh, adenosine, that blocks it. So that's why if you drink, if you drink coffee, you drink caffeine, you essentially get this adenosine or sleep pressure being held off. It's that, yeah, they bind to the same receptor, um, caffeine,
1: adenosine, adenosine. Um, and like you said, like if you, it's not really if you take too much caffeine, it's that, um, well, I suppose it is and it isn't. It's just like the half-life of caffeine is quite long. So if you, that's why typically we, the cutoff point for caffeine would be about 3 o'clock. So if you take 400 milligrams of caffeine at 3 o'clock, about 6 or 7 hours later, you have half that amount still active in your system. So 200 milligrams of caffeine still active in your system at 9 p.m. is 9 or 10 p.m. Not, a, not the best for sleep um but that circadian rhythm i was talking about uh controls the sleep-wake cycle so controls um when you feel sleepy when you feel most awake um and it kind of modulates tons of other stuff as well um like when you're most active during the day your eating your body temperature and um, hormone secretion muscle strength all this kind of stuff um as regards kind of muscle strength and the circadian rhythm we kind of know that you're strongest in the evening um, as opposed to during the day there's a couple of reasons I hypothesized for that but it's weird that it's not exactly at the point you typically expect people to be most awake um, but we all have this kind of internal body clock um, that we call the circadian rhythm Plants tend to have it. People have it, um, and it tends to be very closely related to light, um, and obviously we sense light through our eyes. This gets fed through um, to our brain, and in our brain we have the super super chiasmatic nucleus CSN um, that regulates uh, that regulates all that. Um. For I suppose for sleep it's very easy to just break down um into just four stages typically um and they're all kind of on a continuum of depth really. You've kind of gone from light sleep to heavier sleep. But really the main two ways or not two ways but the the binary of sleep is non-REM sleep so non-rapid eye, m- eye movement and in REM sleep rapid eye movement sleep um, and really it's not fully kind of understood how but it's not really kind of fully understood um, what functions these two different um, or not what functions we know what functions they have but we don't really understand why and um, so we'll start off with stage one so we're not going to kind of bog people down too much at this because like the more and more you read into it the more and more you realize sleep is an absolute rabbit hole to read into but uh, non-REM sleep it's kind of a transitional role in the sleep stage cycle Um. so besides for newborns and people with any kind of neurological disorder like narcolepsy um, usually your sleep cycle will start with this non-REM stage one uh, and it usually lasts like the first five minutes of a sleep cycle. So our sleep cycles typically last like 90 to about 90 minutes, 75, 75 to 90 minutes. Uh, I could be after making the hymns of that. I think that's roughly the time.
0: Yeah, no, that is, that's correct.
1: Um, and it's usually about like two or 5% of the total amount of sleep you'll actually get um and that's why like as soon as you fall asleep if you hear like a loud noise or anything like that it's pretty easy to disrupt it's quite a a light stage of sleep um so then like if we're talking about brain activity you will hear if you read into sleep you'll hear a lot about brain activity so you'll hear about like alpha waves and beta waves Really, all you need to know is that with these different types of brain waves, alpha waves are the waves you typically see when you're awake, and beta waves are the waves you typically see when you're asleep. Alpha waves more brain activity, beta waves less brain activity. Um, and that's measured through. And I'm going to make fucking balls of this electroencephalographic, electroencephalographic. That sounds about right. Yeah. Electroencephalographic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a bra- brain activity on that EEG um, in stage one, where you're transitioning from wakefulness to non-wakefulness. So like where you like, I suppose you can call it loss of consciousness if you want. Um, shows like a really mixed frequency so like you have like those alpha and beta brain um, kind of going a little bit haywire um, and they kind of you're talking 8 to, to like 13 seconds uh, of patterns so if they're I don't know I don't know anything about brainwaves but we're looking at them in comparison to let's say like when we get to REM sleep you see a lot more kind of chaotic brain brain waves than you would kind of in stages two, three, and four. So then we're talking about stage two. So it lasts about like 10 to 25 minutes in the initial cycle and it lengthens with each successive cycle. So obviously over the night, you're gonna have your first sleep cycle, then you'll have another sleep cycle, then you might have another and another and another. So it's not that once you fall asleep, you're going from, okay, we're in stage one for 15 minutes, then we're in stage two for three hours, then we're in stage three for two hours. It's that your these cycles are constantly uh, repeating themselves more or less. Um, so you could have um, watching overnight, maybe like eight, nine sleep cycles, maybe. I
0: think it's like five, five to six, because if we look at a sleep cycle lasting about 90 minutes, um, on average, about 90 minutes, and that's probably going to, if you're sleeping for eight hours, it's probably going to be about four to five sleep cycles. Yeah. Uh, or four to six, really depend depends how long you're going to be sleeping for as well.
1: Yeah. So it's really in the, really dependent on how long you're sleeping and the quality of your sleep. Um, if you're waking a bunch during the night, you mightn't get very much REM sleep at all if you're really wakeful and just dependent on the individual. But then with stage two, it lasts about between 15 and 25 minutes in the initial sleep cycle and it lengthens with each successive cycle. So you're talking maybe between 45 to 55% of the total sleep episode could be spent in stage two. And an individual in stage two um, requires a lot more uh, noise or kind of stimulus to awaken them from sleep than if you were in stage one. Um, and brain activity on that EEG, we were talking about electroencellographic. I don't know what the fuck you want to call it. EEG, we're keeping EEG anyway. EEG, yeah. Uh, shows pretty low uh, voltage and frequency. Um, in that brain activity so we're seeing decreased brain activity um, and those sleep spindles um, that we'll chat about in a small bit were, are really important for memory so that memory consolidation from the day <laughs> um, from the day go back and kind of cement the, the memory or that learning that took place during the day So people that learn a new task um, during the day or they learn a new skill have a a much higher density of sleep spindles um, than those uh, that don't uh, have any learning or anything going on during the day. So stage three and stage four, so now we're into kind of the the really um, low brain, brain activity stages of sleep. Um, and most of this occurs during the first third of the night and kind of between stage three and four, there are kind of like discernible characteristics. Again, it's kind of outside of the the remit of of this, I suppose, but it is kind of interesting to read into. Um, So stage three kind of lasts only a couple of minutes and it's about three to, between three and 8% of the total sleep, again, dependent on the individual. And then the last kind of stage is stage four. So that's the last non-REM part of sleep. And that lasts about 20 to 40 minutes of the sleep cycle. And it makes up about 10 or 15% of your sleep. Um, So then in that part of the sleep, your arousal threshold is the highest. So you are gone. You are sound asleep at that stage. Very little is waking you up. Uh, And we tend to see kind of in terms of brainwave activity, we tend to see it start to pick up again a little bit. Um, As we kind of approach REM sleep, it kind of makes sense why we tend to see a little bit more brain activity because I suppose REM sleep is probably what gets the most attention out of all our sleep. It's kind of where we tend to dream um, when you tend to see kind of like a little bit more um, of the autonomic nervous system, kind of start to pick up. Um, you could tend to see, like maybe you would be, uh, like just generally more aroused. You can see, like sexual arousal, your heart rate goes up during during this time. Uh, your body temperature starts to increase as well. But in REM sleep, it's kind of defined by a really like chaotic brainwave activity muscle tone and we tend to see like bursts of rapid eye movements so that's why it's called REM sleep we tend to see um, a lot of occipital nerve activity around that stage as well um, and that's common across like all mammals so like if you took a horse, a dolphin, and a human, you tend to see quite similar responses to being in that REM stage of sleep. Um. But during the initial cycle, um, like the first let's say the first sleep cycle, like that REM sleep might last only a minute, maybe five minutes, um, and it becomes eventually prolonged as the night goes on. So the amount of REM sleep you're exposed to increases with the amount of time you sleep. So that's I think that's really important for people to just kind of take note of. We know that your REM sleep is, um. Quite an important stage of the sleep process um, for them to take away maybe that having maybe exposure to just let's say they have two sleep cycles let's say someone sleeps for only three or four hours a night that if they were to actually sleep that seven or eight that seventh or eight hour um they'd actually be exposed to more of the benefits from sleep um than if they were to only sleep that four or six hours and then I suppose we come to kind of like dreaming in REM sleep which I think is kind of cool um it's most associated with REM sleep and that's why when you have your dreams you just kind of wake up you're in a panic you realize JLo and Beyonce aren't in the bed beside you and you kind of reality comes crashing in and the jig is up but um Yeah, it's dreaming is like typically associated with REM. Um, We've a little loss of muscle tone and reflexes likely uh, have some important function because it prevents an individual like acting out your dream or nightmare while sleeping. So during that REM stage, you tend to see muscle tone. And what we mean by muscle tone is... um, neural activity at a muscular level decrease. Um so like you've a shit ton of brainwave activity going on at this stage. It's you are basically awake, but you're just physically asleep, mentally you're awake, but physically you're asleep. So brain shuts off a little bit of um electrical signal signaling to your muscles to basically stop you climbing the fucking walls or going outside and playing with the traffic it half six in the morning or murdering somebody or murdering someone or that's happened <laughs> yeah um, but it's I mean it's a very like that was a protective mechanism that we've yeah. evolved over the years uh, to stop us killing our spouses or whatever in our sleep um, but about 80% of the of our vivid dreams um, comes about from arousal Uh, during that sleep stage Uh, and it's REM sleep is for memory consolidation so let's say we're we're kind of saying this earlier Um, those sleep spindles um, really really pronounced as well during REM sleep um, and really necessary part of remembering something uh, on a part of the learning process so if you're studying for an exam Doing an all-nighter, terrible idea. Um, studying for you, not before you go to sleep, but um, studying and getting a good night's sleep, very, very necessary part of the process. So, I don't know why my laptop sounds like a fucking airplane here, like it's going to take off. Um, <laughs> we'll chat a little bit maybe about physiology during sleep. Um, so there's a, like not a ton of changes that your body goes through, but we we'll kind of break these down. So generally like the changes that you go through during sleep are very tolerable. Um, like there are like some individuals um, with cardiovascular diseases um, that can their condition can be compromised um, during sleep? Uh, it's not unheard of. But generally, changes we see to the cardiovascular system, changes in blood pressure, heart rate, uh, and these are under the control of the autonomic nervous system. So we see quite I won't say large but let's say like if you're resting heart rate during the day uh, when you're not during the day but when you're active could be upwards of maybe let's say 65 to 70 beats per minute you could see a heart rate go down to as low as 45 um, beats per minute during the night blood pressure typically de- decreases as well um then we might see brief increases in blood pressure and heart rate depending on the amount of brainwave activity and how aroused you are during the night um, and depending on bodily movements as well so if you're at a quite a if you're at a period of the sleep sleep stage where there's a lot of brain activity tend to see more movement if there's less brain activity tend to see less movement Um, and that obviously will cause your heart rate to increase or decrease. Um, In kind of people with heart conditions or cardiovascular disease, there is an increased risk of myocardial infarction in the morning due to rapid rises in heart rate and blood pressure that come with weakening. So just something to be aware of. Um, So then kind of we come to maybe nervous system so we've the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems with the sympathetic nervous system we tend to see decreases as non-REM sleep deepens but there is a burst of sympathetic uh, nervous system activity during non-REM sleep uh, and that comes following brief very like relatively small increases in blood pressure and heart rate um but compared to wakefulness there is a rise in activity during REM sleep uh, of that sympathetic nervous system activity. Mm -hmm. Um, So then kind of the respiratory system kind of there is kind of a lot that happens kind of with our breathing during sleep Um, this typically just down to the decreases in heart rate won't get massively deep into it but Uh, your ventilatory and respiratory flow change during sleep and they become uh, faster and kind of more erratic during REM sleep. So that's kind of a common theme we are seeing that things just kind of things really really slow down during um, maybe stage two and stage three of our sleep and as we approach REM sleep we tend to see things pick up. Um, The There not really I suppose much need to get in to get too deep into it but you tend to see like maybe like night coughing as well as a um not a symptom but uh kind of picks up uh around at stage three and stage four so as we approach REM sleep again that coughing tends to increase Uh, The endocrine system, I suppose, we kind of have to talk about because growth hormone, testosterone, melatonin, they're all kind of influenced by sleep. Uh, Growth hormone secretion typically, um, or not typically, kind of most importantly. Uh, But growth hormone secretion does take place during sleep-wake cycles, uh, while thyroid hormone secretion takes place in the late evening. Uh, melatonin then as well another um, hormone heavily influenced by sleep uh, this hormone does kind of induce sleep sleepiness um, it is something that people supplement a lot with um, and for different reasons it's maybe not so great um, to supplement with chronically unless you've maybe been um, prescribed it um the way kind of melatonin works is it reduces the alerting uh effect from that superchiasmatic nucleus that we spoke about earlier in the brain and um, the superchiasmatic nucleus is quite d- deep in the brain um it's located just above the uh, medulla um, and it's kind of above the brain stem um and this works with a feedback loop um through your eyes uh, and it cord- helps coordinate your crocadian rhythm and it's influenced by those light dark cycles and it's suppressed by the light and um, so supplementing with melatonin uh, in some cases is a good idea but generally it's something that um, if you hear Matthew Walker speaking about it he kind of says that it's not the most have you heard
0: him speak about it, chin? Um, I have briefly, but I suppose it's one of those. It's one of those things that, like, like even if you suffer with melatonin, if you're not really doing practices that will help to kind of improve its, its like use. Yeah. It's probably not much use. Like, I mean, if you're staring at your phone or your laptop or like watching TV or have like a bright light shining your face, hoping yeah. oh, that's going to get you to get to sleep while taking a pill it's not going to do a huge amount because like light has such a big impact on like your own kind of natural secretion of melatonin. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so that's kind of a little bit on the physiology of sleep. So we kind of just covered sleep architecture. Um, we know that sleep is kind of a, a momentary, uh, I won't say loss of consciousness, but um, a break um, in alpha brainwave activity um that kind of corresponds with um low muscle to low periods low muscle tone gives us a break from that sleep pressure and allows us to kind of carry on throughout our day as the sleep pressure increases then we need to sleep to clear it again so it's a constant cycle that our body
0: has to stay in for us to keep going so Shane from there where do we yeah so I suppose the kind of next thing to touch on like after we've kind of covered all that is like you know is there any kind of research on the area that would interest us the most so like you know looking at like performance in sport or performance for strength athletes so it does appear from like the the bulk of the literature that like you know sleep is important and sleep duration is like how are you going to be most bang for a book thing that we can do to improve our performance? So uh, from a recent systematic review is by Kirshen in 2020. So essentially this looked at 19 uh, different studies, examined 14 different sports uh, to see, like, you know, do longer uh, sleep durations uh, have a good impact on sleep or good impact on performance uh, or negative or, or neutral? And most of them found, that like, you know, once like longer durations of like a week plus in terms of the studies found a net positive or a neutral effect um, with sports or disciplines that had a higher skill requirement to actually have a greater benefit or a greater benefit from the longer duration of sleeps and also a greater benefit from acutely long durations of sleeps. So something like a strength discipline. So one of the studies they looked at was in weightlifters. And they actually found with one night of acute sleep de- deprivation, that their actual 1RM tests were not significantly different to when they were actually tested fresh, which is quite interesting. Uh, but you can kind of see this even if you are somebody who, who has trained or who does train for parallelism. If you have one night of bad sleep, typically your next day your performance, if you're doing something that's low repetitions, it's probably not as bad as you think it's going to be especially if you go in with the kind of preconceived idea that this session will go okay like i think in these kind of cases sometimes their psychological kind of mindset coming into these sessions can almost make them worse than they actually may be so when we look at what actual measures of strength may be affected by poor night's sleep uh, it's going to be more likely to be things like work capacity so our, our ability to actually produce a produce volume so one of the studies that was included in this systematic review was on rugby players and they actually were doing like high, high volume uh bench pressing rowing uh squatting and they found that their work capacity was diminished after a night of poor sleep and after they had them like sleep for a bit longer in the next next day their sleep had actually their, their performance had improved uh, and then the other one that looked at strength. So like there wasn't a huge amount of actual studies included in this uh, review that looked at strength-based um, outcomes. The other one was in uh, karate. How do you say? karateers, <laughs> Karate athletes? Yeah. Apologies okay. to anybody who does karate. Uh, run with it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, but essentially, d- these are looking at isometric uh, testing of like the biceps. Um, which again we've kind of talked about like isometric testing uh, it's not really representative of representative of like your dynamic strength which would be with like weightlifting um and again like you know you know if you're trying to do a bicep curl uh isometrically like i mean yeah it's kind of hard compared to like uh, a clean jerk for example with the weightlifting study yeah. so that's essentially what this review would say uh, however um, one thing to kind of take into account is like the actual length of time that, on average, they spent in this study for like of all the studies. Um, it was around eight and a half hours of sleep. So you know, eight and a half hours is actually a good amount of time of sleep. However, you will hear that like, oh, maybe athletes should spend a bit longer in bed, and maybe they're the type of studies that we need to see in the future because there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of research examining like nine plus errors. Uh, of total sleep time to improve performance
1: yeah um i think i suppose it, it would be massively dependent on training volume and um, and where the person is maybe in their competition schedule um i don't know if you find it, but like when things get a little bit heavier and you kind of approach maybe like you're getting into some heavy singles the volume maybe was a little bit higher there earlier on maybe first maybe a week or two ago um like my sleep does start to struggle or not struggle but uh does start to fail a little bit kind of coming in um and once i kind of get the deload um it kind of does return back And mm-hmm. um, so kind of a little bit of neural fatigue does tend to uh affect your sleep um but as regards kind of recovery from um recovery from training like what i think would be interesting to see like you said if you did volume match uh, across maybe four groups and you had one group who slept maybe between six and seven hours one group that slept between seven and eight hours one group that slept eight to nine hours another group that slept nine plus hours or maybe something like that maybe the hour gaps don't have to be so precise but something like that just to compare what is the what is necessary what is overkill mm-hmm. uh, as I suppose spending nine plus hours in bed 10 hours in bed for anybody during the days
0: yeah and like even like with a lot of these studies like there is like pretty big limitations to sleep studies in general because a lot of them use like subjective scores like you know just a sleep rating or performance uh, how recovered you feel how sore do you feel um very few actually like use like you know quite uh, expensive things like uh, psg so that's called polysono polysonography it's a different difficult word to say so i say psg and so very few use those and i at most i'll use like things like actigraphs or things like fitbits like fitbit kind of devices to try to measure sleep and like you know there is a limitation with those as well like you know how sensitive could those actual sensors be on something like a fitbit uh like how secure are they on the wrist uh is the person even wearing it for the entire time that they're doing it if they're going home during the study uh those kind of things so there are also things that we have to take into consideration and uh, so say for example uh there's another uh, systematic review which looked at interventions to improve sleep so this one i suppose it probably doesn't tell us much more than we already know Uh the kind of key takeaway being spending more time in bed is probably a good shout. Uh and I think that one seems so obvious, but it's something that people don't really like take into consider consideration too much. It's usually what can I take to improve my sleep? Um, is there a supplement I can use? Is there something that is gonna help me track my sleep that's gonna help me upgrade it? And really it's just actually just getting to bed a bit earlier, like and like you know, having more sleep opportunity. Is probably going to be your best bet. Uh, it seems like sleep extension. And this, like, like you have to think about, like, when you get into bed, if you, say, for example, you say, all right, I get seven seven or eight hours of sleep. Are you getting seven or eight hours or are you in bed for seven or eight hours? Because there are different things. Uh, depending on your kind of situation coming into sleep, like, how quickly are you falling asleep once your head hits the pillow? You could be in bed, but you could be looking at your phone, you know? Um, and then, like, you know, obviously that could be keeping you up. Uh, like directly from you continuing to look at your phone or just the fact that we talked about the light stimulating uh, your suprachiasmatic super nucleus keeping you from super, uh, secreting that melatonin and keeping you awake okay so there are other things that you have to look at um so outside of sleep extension which is seem like to be the most powerful thing that we can do uh we have other things like so sleep hygiene is one thing that is often talked about so just kind of touched on sleep hygiene there a bit like you know what are you doing in the hour or two before bed are you doing something that's stimulating yourself so for example are you on your phone looking at instagram looking at things that are triggering you um or (laughs) uh like you know even like coming up to coming up to sleep when's your last meal are you eating a huge meal like 30 minutes before sleep this can have like in kind of Pretty heavy effect on you getting to sleep. One thing that does seem to regulate sleep is your body temperature. As we ingest big meals, our body temperature can increase, and this can uh, reduce the or sorry increase the time it actually takes for us to fall asleep because we're trying to do one very active process being digestion and one inactive process sleep. So we're kind of doing both very or trying we're trying to do both very inefficiently. Um. Do you have anything to weigh under? Um,
1: no, I think, I don't know. You said that you said a, a bunch of kind of interesting stuff there. I suppose uh, one paper I was kind of chatting to you about just before I started was that a paper from the, I think it's the Florida Athletic University, FAU. Um, and it was a guy, uh, Michael Heischer, uh, came up with this paper. It was the impact of cognitive measures and sleep on acute squat performance in. Acute squat strength performance and perceptual responses in well trained men and women. Um, And I thought this was a fairly cool paper because they had quite a large sample size, it was 58 people involved in the study. Um, And they were all, they all had to be. Resistance trained for a year. So, their inclusion criteria was that you had to be uh, resistance training for at least a year. And you had to be back squatting for at least once a week for the past year. So, these were all pretty experienced. Um, All participants had to be able to squat one and a half times their body weight. And women were, or men were required to squat one and a half times their body weight. And women were required to squat at least uh, their body weight to be included. Um, so, yeah, so they took them through 1RM testing, they gave them some readiness questionnaires. Um, so, when you're looking at research, uh, particularly this kind of thing, you will see a lot of questionnaires being used. Uh, the questionnaires, they used uh, two. Well, two I've came across before. One was uh, called the Daily An- Analysis of Life Demands for Athletes. Uh, and the second one was the Avideo, uh Sleep Questionnaire. Um, fairly commonly used in this kind of thing when you're dealing with athletes. Um, the third one I hadn't came across it was the Competitive State Anxiety Inventory. Um, and these were all uh, used to assess kind of acute stress, anxiety levels, and sleep. Um, So then they had a self-efficacy questionnaire. Again, uh, self-efficacy kind of as a psychological construct um, with 1RM testing, quite relevant. How do you feel about putting an extremely heavy weight in your back and standing up with it? Makes sense. so more or less what these guys did um, was they were given, um, they completed the scales uh, to predict what loads they were 100%, 75 and 50% confident that they could lift for a 1RM. Then they completed their 1RM, uh, which was tested with rate of perceived ex- exertion. So that, uh, subjective scale we all know and love Uh, and then they measured the average concentric velocity on on, on each attempt so they measured bar velocity Um, and that was kind of it really then and they would have tested for what correlated with what and what was high when another was low but really they evaluated the impact of various Psychological scales on one RM back squat performance, um, and the major finding that they had is that the reported hours of sleep on the Avideo sleep questionnaire was predicted was predictive of one RM velocity and RP. Uh, they found a significant relationship when analysing uh, that for men. Um, not in women so that that was more uh, more sleep was more predictive of that in men than in women Um so individuals who reported more hours of sleep from the night before they did their 1RM testing tended to report higher RPs on the final 1RM attempt and performed their 1RM at lower velocities so what that's kind of saying to us is that those with greater acute sleep so again we're only looking at this in a very snapshot it's a pretty cross-sectional study um the those with greater acute sleep worked up to true 1rm than those with less sleep as they were able to successfully complete an actual 1rm so when we hear that like oh shit they had higher rps and their 1rm was a lower velocity is like that's a bad thing it's not it's a 1rm it's the bar is supposed to move quite slow. It's supposed to be quite difficult. Um. So yeah, I think it's it's not it's not predictive. It's not saying that like if you sleep more, uh, you're gonna have a uh, higher R one RM or anything. But again, it's just something that we probably know. Uh, we know already is that generally having a good night's sleep before you go to moon or in. Just a good
0: idea. Yeah, and it would seem as well that, you know, it, it kind of depends as well. If you, if you do have a period that is a bit sleep restricted, depending on what side of the night is being restricted, that could be a bit more predictive of how your performance would be. So what I mean by that is if you go bed a bit later and you're restricted the sleep by that way, that won't have as much of a negative effect as if you were woken up much earlier than you usually would. Yeah. And a reason for this could potentially be as you go to bed a bit later, you you will go to bed more tired. So you're probably going to sleep a bit quicker as your head hits the pillow. Your sleep efficiency will improve and you're still going to get your time in all of those stages of non-rapid eye movement, non-rapid eye movement sleep, uh, all your stages of deep sleep and REM sleep. Whereas if you are woken up much earlier than you usually would, you're probably going to be missing out on the kind of latter portions of that sleep cycle. You're probably going to miss out on a bit of your REM sleep, which does is important for your mood. Um, so this could be a reason why, if you train very early in the morning, uh, all of a sudden one week, as opposed to your kind of usual time, and you wake up much earlier your performance is not as good and like these kind of morning sessions as well if you do start to incorporate them into your kind of gym split or if you're trying to transition from like you know usually train the evening to maybe train in the morning and you're altering your sleep cycles that is why it does take a lot longer as well to get to adjust to yeah and I think like if you're
1: a coach um, and you know a person has like heavy moderate light sessions during the week or something like that that there are like let's say you're coaching a nurse or you're coaching uh, somebody that works shifts what ship work uh setting up that person's training in a way um that like if they if they can report to you oh i have like friday off i can sleep or, like let's say they finished their shift on thursday night at 9 p.m they've just worked like a i'd say six to nine or something they go to bed at 10 and they don't have to be awake early that friday maybe it's a good idea to put their heavy stuff on the friday so that may, they can actually they're recovered they're, they have enough sleep adequate sleep going into that session um like it doesn't need to be complicated uh, as regards sleep really like it's just like shane was kind of saying earlier just being diligent with your sleep hygiene Making sure that you're getting to bed at a stage where you're allowing yourself to get maybe that seven, eight, nine hours of sleep, um, going to bed at the same time, but more importantly,
0: getting up at the same time in the morning. Um Yeah. There does there's definitely a huge like discipline element to it. And I suppose that's probably why so many people struggle with it, <laughs> is because like you know getting up at the same time and going to bed at the same time it seemed like something so simple but it's actually quite difficult to implement and like I consider myself somebody decent at that but I still have evenings where I maybe look at my phone a bit longer or I forget to read or you know something something happens and I push back my bedtime and it's just one of the kind of things that the more the more frequently you do it the stricter with yourself you are or even if you employ some kind of routine uh, that will kind of make you want to go to sleep earlier it does help like say for example something like reading like taking that up if you don't read um like even something like an audiobook like could be something that you only do in the last half hour or so before sleep and that's gonna at least give you some kind of uh, incentive to want to go to, to want to go to sleep a bit earlier definitely
1: with all that i think it's just a good idea to just implement that um or at least aim for it
0: Yeah. And uh, then as well, on on the wake on the waking up same time, that is uh, sometimes probably one of the harder ones, too, uh, because like we do have this uh, concept called social jet lag where people will sleep in quite late at the weekends, uh, even though they will wake up maybe initially at their usual kind of wake up time. So if you're habituated to getting up at 7 a.m. at the weekend because you want the extra lie in and you might wake up at 7am but then you're like i'm gonna stay in bed for another few hours and you actually wake up feeling groggier and this has been taught to be because when we do wake up initially it is due to a spike in cortisol and cortisol essentially is what is going to get us out of bed going to start mobilizing fuel to get us ready for the day and if we stay in bed during this spike we don't get it when we wake up in a three hours time we can feel a bit kind of grogger getting up and out of bed Um, This morning, (laughs) in terms of other things that we can do, though, that like can potentially help. Um, so one thing that came up a bit when I was looking into this was napping, and napping is something that, like, you know, people will say they do to improve their sleep. It doesn't really seem that napping has a huge add on benefit if you already get sufficient sleep. So, if you get sufficient sleep already like having naps throughout the day it's probably not going to give you much of a benefit but if you are getting like you know your five six hours of sleep it can be of benefit i know for example like when i worked as a pt and i would be sleep when you're working as a pt is just something that's quite difficult to actually really get a hang of because you may have days where you're coming in quite late and a lot of mornings where you're starting quite early uh, and you're for for, for the most part you're sleep restricted and you're Uh, expending a huge amount of energy throughout the day so you're probably not recovering completely Uh, so coming home and like even getting like a a 20 to 45 minute nap can help and it does seem like it can improve things like just sport performance as well as cognitive ability one thing though to kind of bear in mind is i suppose we touched on the sleep cycles earlier on and if we are spending uh, enough time for us to get into one of these sleep cycles Waking yourself up during one of these can actually cause us to feel less rested. Yeah. So, you will see recommended if you're going to go for a nap, keep it either like 15, 20 minutes uh, or try to get it to last a full sleep cycle. Now, one thing that is actually kind of um, done within the research is they don't actually um, measure to or on the studies i looked at anyway they haven't they haven't actually measured to see if the person is actually sleeping so they would have looked at times between 25 35 45 minutes um, and they would see that people feel quite rested after these times but one like just one thing to consider is are are the people actually sleeping some people reported that they weren't actually sleeping but just the the kind of practice of lying down and resting made them feel a bit more rejuvenated and like anecdotally I've definitely experienced that myself not being able to get to sleep if I tried to nap but just the act of like you know getting into bed putting on an eye mask and just kind of chilling out and trying to like let your brain kind of relax for a short period of time can make you feel a bit more rejuvenated um so that would be kind of what we would see when we look at napping so like you know if, if you feel you get benefit from it i mean it's one of those things that there's no reason not to do it if you can afford to do it during the day um like, you know it, it could be of benefit uh, one limitation to like one of the studies that i looked at was like they were looking at naps at kind of questionable times so they're looking at people taking a nap at like half 10 in the morning and um, with no kind of notice like oh, when this person woke up like, you know, if I woke up at half seven and I went to go for a nap at half ten, uh, I'd have to question, like, you know, well, was I tired enough to be taking that nap? Um, how difficult would it be to get a nap in at that time? Whereas somewhere around midday may be a bit more beneficial. But then another thing you also have to take into consideration is, like, uh, one thing that they didn't actually look at was, like, you know, how that affected the, the night of sleep later on that, later on that evening, you know, because it could it could potentially uh, take longer for you to fall asleep that night Uh, kind of taking away the point of actually taking a nap in the first place yeah Yeah, i think um
1: napping is kind of a double-edged sword but i think generally like if you're like you said if you're uh sleep time uh, like the amount of time you're sleeping and your sleep quality is not on point i think generally just having a nap is probably a good idea yeah Um, especially if you have a training training session maybe you get to train at like maybe finish work at like five (laughs) o'clock you train at half six like a very quick 15 20 minute nap maybe in the car after work or whatever as soon as you get home probably a good
0: idea Mm -hmm. so in terms of other kind of sleep interventions we can look to use to improve our performance recovery all that kind of stuff um so we already talked about sleep extension talked a bit about napping there and um, talked a bit about sleep hygiene so you know trying not to be on your phone doing anything to stimulate before bed reading a book and um, other things that you look at doing are like you know taking a warm shower essentially will look to regulate our body temperature a bit more to bring our core temperature down which may make it a bit easier to fall asleep again having big meals before bed uh, that's probably not a great idea Um however like you also have to with the big meals before bed you also have to take into consideration what your general like day in general is like like if you're somebody who has quite a busy job and you can't get in all like most of your calories in during the day due to kind of work limitations maybe you have to have your bigger meals in the evening and that's or maybe you train hard in the evening um, and that's one of the times that you can get a meal in so like you know there's other kind of things that so you have to think about so
1: yeah,
0: I think uh, as well one,
1: one that most people will uh, definitely um, agree with me on at the moment is just having a cool room like yeah. being between 17 and 22 degrees Celsius I think is the the optimal um, which is obviously really fucking hard to do at the moment have mm. um, the window open or sleep oh, lads, it is fucking gruesome when you wake up and the cast of Bugs life is fucking screaming at you half two and then, yeah, it's class <laughs> get a fan get a good fan Um, I have like I what I started doing is putting a pillow by the window so that when I wake up I have like a cold pillow I can I can like when I when I take that one off I put like another one there for the next time I wake <laughs> like have this conveyor belt system class. <laughs> oh yeah that's pretty much it really isn't it
0: yeah I suppose there's just one one other thing uh, just I wanted to kind of mention so you might see people myself included wearing okay is it ha- <laughs> <laughs> uh, these, might see us wearing these uh, funny coloured lenses yeah from here um, so we'll see people wearing these. So they are meant to be blue light restricting glasses. Do they actually work? It's hard to say. Um. So yeah. the two actual papers that I looked at, one of them reported a benefit, and one of them didn't. One of them, like I spoke, both of them actually didn't use a control group to see actually if like people not wearing glasses at all improved their sleep. Um. However, one of them like had a serious amount of limitations in the sense that they gave one group uh, like you know these glasses and then the other group just had clear lenses um they didn't tell them that they were measuring sleep they oh. told them it was to do with like mood and alertness but the questionnaire they gave them had about 10 questions on sleep <laughs> so uh like you know the the group that actually wore the glasses or wore the, t- the tinted glasses only reported an extra seven minutes more of sleep and um, again they're all like kind of subjective measurement measurements as well uh, yeah. and like you know if there's if you have any kind of inkling that you know you're going to be using something and you've heard uh through the grapevine that this thing is going to maybe give you some sleep benefit because pretty common knowledge these days to see people wear these <laughs> glasses and know that they might have a benefit in sleep that's enough to give you the kind of placebo effect that they might work but even if something is placebo and it's kind of getting you in the mood and kind of reestablishing some kind of routine that you're gonna implement before you go to sleep, that can be enough to set the unwinding process and get you ready for sleep. Um, so like you know, it's it's an expensive placebo essentially. Uh, but yeah. you know, again, if if it does give you that benefit, I mean, what's the harm? Yeah, I think, I think like you said, even just reading
1: or having a routine before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. Idea. Just it's kind of like anything like like if you build associations in your head with things be they like um, be it reading be it like I don't know you put fucking lavender in your pillow or whatever you put on your pyjamas so now you know I'm going to bed or you turn off the television or you turn on like a nightlight whatever it is Like just try and repeat those uh, like I suppose the number one thing is just making sure you're actually like, I'm actually on as I'm saying as am actually bollocks. <laughs> but making sure that like you're actually setting things up in a way just for you to be able to sleep that like you're not sleeping until like ten, eleven o'clock in the morning every day that you're actually letting yourself go to bed at a reasonable hour Uh, like if you're seeing single digits on the clock every night when you're going to sleep i mean it's probably not conducive of um, a good night's sleep And like that doesn't mean you're not going to make progress this is this is the things that like you getting stronger or you building muscle isn't really uh isn't uh i won't say dependent but again like it's it is relatively independent to sleep. It's just not going to be optimal. I think that's kind of one important thing that we do have to say that like while getting eight or nine hours of sleep is optimal, like optimal isn't uh, an on or off switch. It's more like a, a spectrum of things uh, being close to optimal or less than optimal. It's not that your whole, all your training and your life is going to shit and everything's going to fall apart for you. It's just, it's just not going to be as good as it could be.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's low hanging fruit. Like yeah, yeah. Like considering how difficult it can be for people to master their nutrition or like you know commit to a training plan. Yeah. Like I mean, sleep is pretty handy. Like it, it doesn't come with as much kind of a like psychological kind of barriers. Only one is really like, you know, can you commit to being somewhere at the same time every day? Yeah, it shouldn't be too hard to be in. <laughs> you get to lie down for like eight hours, it's fucking so handy, really <laughs> isn't. Yeah, uh, yeah, so I suppose that pretty much covers everything. Like, we didn't touch on anything supplement based, uh, I suppose we could do like a separate podcast itself on supplements in general. For performance, um, like I mean, when it comes to sleep supplements, it's pretty lacking anyway. Like, I mean, you're not going to get anything as kind of powerful as the stuff we just talked about there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's probably not even worth touching on too much. Another kind of worms, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this. Um, as always, if you want to. Leave a podcast rating on iTunes or give it a share. Give the Spotify thing a share on Instagram. That'd be very much appreciated. Uh, you can find myself at Story ninety four on Instagram. Lawrence, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on uh,
1: Jesus Christ at underscore Lawrence King, um, on Instagram and Twitter, I think
0: nice one also i suppose i'll just give my coaching a bit of a plug here as well while i'm here i do have a few spaces available for coaching at the moment so if you are looking at upgrading your physique or getting into strength sports definitely do give me a message i'll be happy to help you out so that's pretty much it hope you have a great weekend or whatever you do whenever you release this (laughs) and talk to you in the next one